If you have a Bible, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 14, continuing to read through the book of Proverbs as we continue through the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Proverbs chapter 14, verses 21 through 25. Lend your attention, this is God's word. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Do they not go astray who devise evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. A truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. Thus far the reading of God's word. Join me in prayer as we ask his blessing upon the word read and preached. God, we bless your name that you have devised good for us. And your eternal decree, according to the counsel of your own will, was pleased, O oh Lord, to bring into effect the salvation of sinners through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you have ordained, O Lord, in this good, all manner of blessings extended unto us. We give you thanks, O Lord, for your word, bearing true witness, saving life, in the deepest and most profound sense, warning, rescuing, guarding, and keeping. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that you would prepare us to receive your word even now. That you would open our eyes to see wonderful things. That you would attend the word read and preached with that saving influence. Christ's ministry of life, extended by the Holy Spirit, even now. That we might come into a greater and fuller possession of our inheritance now and a greater and fuller assurance of your love for us as you teach us to walk by faith and not by sight. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The catechism questions are on page 973 and 74. <clears throat> we'll look at questions 77 and... 78, but before we turn our attention there, uh, first, uh, briefly, Exodus 20, verse 16, this is God's word, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Thus ends God's word. And question 77 asks, what is required in the ninth commandment? 
The ninth commandment requireth the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness-bearing. And then question 78, what is forbidden in the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment forbiddeth whatsoever is prejudicial to truth or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. What is truth? That philosopher Pilate asked in a gospel record. Well, truth is not calling wolf when there's no wolf. Trust you know the story of the boy who cried wolf. There's a shepherd boy and he becomes bored and he decides that he would liven things up and he cries out wolf, wolf. And all the townspeople come running, ready to rumble with a wolf. I don't think the townspeople will get enough credit in this little parable. They're going to fight a wolf. <laughs> they come running to help him, and they find no wolf. The warriors among them were disappointed, no doubt. They depart, and then again later, the boy cries, wolf, wolf, and again the town, again, no wolf. At this point, the boy is content. He has had his laugh. He returns to shepherding. Sometime goes by, and a wolf comes. And the boy cries, wolf, wolf. And the town people simply shake their heads and ignore his cries. The story ends there, and the imagination is left to wonder what the wolf does. It's a simple moral. It's important to tell the truth. Because the introduction of lies doesn't just damage in that moment, but it destroys the possibility of trust altogether. It's important to tell the truth when we distort the truth or when we play with the truth, great damage is done. Calvin actually highlights that to be the link between the eighth and the ninth commandment the damage that we do. By stealing, we damage our neighbor's outward estate. By lying, we damage our neighbor's name and the relationships that are supposed to occur between men and men. In fact, Calvin says it's certain that false reports, lies, calumnies, and slanders hurt far more than stealing. If we see in the sixth commandment, God places a premium on human life. In the seventh commandment, a premium on marriage. In the eighth commandment, a premium on what he gives to each individual. The ninth commandment says he places a premium on truth. That truth is a really big deal. God calls us to tell the truth. He binds us to tell the truth. There can be no human flourishing without the truth. And he does this as the true and living God. God binding us to tell the truth is rooted in God being true. 
All that he says is true. All that he reveals is true. In general, as God's people, we are to be characterized by truth and truthfulness. But more specific, this command is against bearing false witness. And I think that's important because our starting point for a consideration of the importance of truth is not an abstract meditation. Did you hear the command? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is a very concrete approach and importance to being bound to the truth. You bear witness either for or against someone. You receive witness or testimony either for or against someone. All of which gives truth a very specific face, doesn't it? The need for truth exists in those most intimate confines of human relations. It's very earthy. But this then provides, and you hear this in the catechism, a, a broader understanding, not just of what God calls us to do in the specific situation of witness-bearing, but more broadly, that we are to be characterized by those who value what is true. Those who are earnestly concerned with truth, knowing it, speaking it, living by it. And so we can consider the ninth commandment at the most general level tonight. First, narrowly, God forbids false witness. And second, more broadly, God forbids falsehood. So first, God forbids false witness. This is how the command frames this, and this is what the catechism brings out. You heard it, especially in witness-bearing. In God's providence, we read Proverbs 14.25 this very evening. A truthful witness saves lies, lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. You get the stakes there. True witness saves. False witness kills. It's a poisonous breath destroying everything that it comes into context, contact with. It's not difficult to see why lying, particularly in the context of a court or legal proceedings, is particularly heinous. I trust that I don't have to convince you of this, that because so much rests upon the necessity of knowing what is, to introduce falsehood into such a state is especially egregious. To bear false witness is to destroy another, but not just that. It's also to contribute to the destruction of a society. For a society in which courts of law are held in contempt is on the verge of being no society at all. 
So you can feel the, the gravity of God's call to truthfulness in these contexts. And for this reason, it's common to take oaths, binding individuals in these heightened proceedings. Perhaps you've seen television shows. Children, have you seen this where someone will put their hand on the Bible and they'll raise their hand and the judge will ask them, do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Such oaths being taken before God reminds us that we stand accountable before the one who sees all things, who knows all things. You might be able to lie in a court and escape human punishment, but you will not escape the true and living God. Calvin draws attention to the fact that in the Old Testament, in the time of Moses, particularly in capital punishment cases, it would be the one who testified against the person who had to throw the first stone. So that they would be confronted with the weight of their accusation, the weight of their testimony. That just as their testimony was the reality upon which this person was executed, so also the stone commences this taking of life. We have a sense of the solemnity of these situations and we can feel the gravity and the weight of the need to tell the truth. We honor God as we bear true witness before the true and living God as the one who knows all things, even if human beings don't come to know them. Children, did you know this is one of the reasons and the ways that we can honor God even when you're young, just by telling your mom and dad the truth or your teachers the truth. Have you ever had your parents come to you? They didn't see what happened. Only you know what happened and the Lord. And they ask you, what happened? And you hem and you haw. Maybe you say something, maybe you don't. One way we honor God in those situations and honor our parents in those situations is by telling the truth because God knows and he loves us and our parents love us. And so we can know that God doesn't call us to do harmful things. And we glimpse this in this call to bear true witness as we've already alluded, an important attribute of God, namely the truth of God. We confess that God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. You can ask the children their past question four. Children, what is God? I don't hear any of you. Are you guys just not listening? <laughs> God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his truth. We see a consistent urging, exhorting in the moral and ethical life of the Christian in simply observing all that God is. We hear the heartbeat of this in places like 1 Peter, you shall be holy as I am holy. This excellence of God is no small encouragement for us in the life of faith as we pursue holiness. And here, God binding us to tell the truth takes it's cue from the observation that God is true. 
We mean a couple things by this when we confess that God is the true and living God. But we don't mean less than the ethical sense. Namely, that everything that God says is true. Everything that he commands is true. Everything he says he's going to do is true. The false gods, not true gods, they deal in deceit and darkness. They're consistently promising things that they don't deliver on. Consistently keeping their subjects in the dark regarding what is, who they are. Who the true God is, not so the true and living God. In him there is no darkness, no, none at all. He is without error, he is without deceit, he is without shadow or variation of change. We can see further that God isn't just truth in the abstract, God bears true witness. So telling truth in the context of testimony as a sure basis for decisions and lives to be lived out upon. This is the very point that Jesus makes in John chapter 5. I'll read a handful of verses here. It's a little bit longer. John chapter 5, starting in verse 30. I can do nothing on my own, Jesus says. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplishment, the very works I am doing bear witness about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. And you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I trust you heard it. Just how many times he said, they bear witness. He bears witness. They bear witness. It bears witness. True witness has been born. Testimony has been rendered. And it is no slight testimony. Jesus bears witness. John bears witness. The works the Father gives Jesus bear witness. The Father bears witness. The scriptures bear witness. True testimony. There's a famous apologist book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I don't remember who wrote it. it it'd be better, this is testimony, testimony that demands a verdict. God's word, his works, his servants, the prophets, his son, all bear true witness about who God is, who the Lord Jesus is, what he calls us unto. I mean, we can give thanks. We just give thanks that this is not a trial that is shrouded in mystery. We just consider all of the human trials that go on. It's like, I, I, 
the evidence is split. Like, it's just not clear. Who knows which way the jury's going to rule? Beloved, it's not. <laughs> it's a plain case. Like, the testimony has been rendered. The witness has been born. It's obvious. Beloved, the only thing obscuring it is our sin, our love affair with darkness, that we don't like the content of what's been said. The author of the Hebrews goes on, and he would have us not just give thanks for it, but draw great encouragement and endurance from this. He writes in Hebrews 6, 17 and 18, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. I suspect even in human trials where the preponderance of evidence places things beyond a reasonable doubt, I suspect that there's still reason to be unsure. Such as just the way of it among the trials of men. But the author of the Hebrews places this faith upon a foundation that is unshakable, beloved, for he founds it upon God himself, who cannot lie, and who bore an oath. Be encouraged, beloved. It's no slight foundation. It can sustain the weight of your hopes. It can sustain the weight of your life in a way that nothing else can. Encouragement, perseverance, why? Because God bears true witness, beloved. And that's why he calls us to bear true witness. So in the strictest sense, we can hear this and we can feel our solemn duty if we ever do find ourselves in some sort of legal proceeding to take our responsibility to only say that which is true to bear true witness. All sorts of things war against us in this, don't we? Isn't it? I mean, our pride wants to say things that we claim are true that we don't really know are true. <laughs> and our cowardice often is causing us to shrink back from saying things that we know are true that might be hard to say. We're solemnly bound to bear true witness. Now, you might not ever find yourself in the court of law but this binding unto the, the solemn duty of bearing true witness includes all the oaths and the vows that you take. Elders, you've made vows. Members of this church, you've made vows. You heard them this morning. Husbands and wives, you've made vows. Presbyterian parents, you've made vows about how to raise your children. And so on and so forth. It's a good reminder that we are solemnly bound to abide by the truth of what we have said and thus bear true witness. We're going to do these things. And if we find ourselves shrinking back from this, we seek the Lord's forgiveness, beloved. For such is the reality of sin, not the reality of the Spirit. But it also means that we can find true grace to uphold and to discharge those things which we have vowed, we've said to do in truth and know that Christ meets us there. 
So mark the vows that you've taken. Reflect upon them. Have you upheld them? Have you sought the Lord's grace in discharging them? Have you shrunk back from them? What does the Lord call you to do in the light of the truth that he has bound you to bear true witness? But a more specific application of bearing false witness is in the common sin of slander. This certainly lacks the full weight of a judicial context, but in essence, it's the same sin. Charles Hodge reminds us that the slanderer bears false witness against his neighbor, only he does it in the ears of the public and not in the ears of a jury. We can also mark, though, that the damages are oftentimes just as dreadful. Leviticus 19.16, thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. I am the Lord. I trust this doesn't mean that you can't encourage others to read Tolstoy. I am the bearer of tales in that regard. <laughs> it's forbidding slander. It's forbidding ill reports spread about concerning one another. It strikes me that we feel our own sinful nature acutely in this regard. And the regard is this. Not only are we quick to speak ill about one another, we're quick to believe ill about one another. You feel it? And we see our truly hateful hearts on display in this. This unhealthy craving we have for the worst things to be true about others. Do you feel how sick that is? Hodge invites us to consider just how many of our sinful dispositions Scripture condemns in this unhealthy craving for the worst about people. So scripture condemns our suspicious tempers, our disposition to impute the worst motives, and an unwillingness to believe the best of men, and an eagerness to see the worst advanced. This is so humbling, guys. We should all feel it. You should feel this. I think it's one of the plainest indications of just how sick we are. So Mark, if it's not the case, you have this unhealthy cannibalistic urge. But Mark, how perverse it is for us in particular, as Christians, whose sins have been covered by the blood of Christ, who have not had their worst published, beloved. I trust you can rejoice in that as I can. They don't have the worst iterations of what passes your heart displayed for everyone to see. God's mercy be praised, beloved. We are those about whom God thinks far higher than anything we could imaginably have deserved. 
No? Is that not the case? That's the case, beloved. So how is it that if that's true of us, we can perversely delight to speak ill of others and believe the worst of one another at the drop of a hat? I'm not saying we come to hard conclusions after a sober and a judicious evaluation of all the data. That's not what I'm talking about. And you know it. You know what I'm talking about. And such things ought not to be. There's a reason to hang our heads here. There really is. Again, we're not speaking about the necessary, orderly, healthy, spiritual addressing of sin in our midst. That's not what we're talking about here. Scripture instructs us plainly that that must take place, and it gives us ample direction for both the course and the manner for how that is to be conducted. That's not what I'm talking about, and you know it. Tail-bearing, tail-receiving, slander, spoken and carried, they are of a different ilk altogether. They proceed from ill will towards one another. Beloved, let us not be outwitted by the devil, who is eager to see us devour one another in this way. He's eager to see the destruction that rends community when false witness and slander is spread abroad and welcomed with open arms and perverse glee. Beloved, we have this in us, and unless we are on our guard, we too will be rent asunder just as countless households have. Mark if it's not the case. Mark if we don't have this in us. We are to be slow to admit such conclusions about others. As a general rule, if someone comes to you to speak ill of another, your guard ought to be up. I mean, that seems like a simple rule of thumb, doesn't it? Perhaps you could take it further and say, I don't, I don't want to hear this. Maybe that's a hard situation where you have to speak truth in love. This doesn't concern, have you talked to that person? If you're having an issue, can you speak with your pastor? Can you speak with your elder? This isn't how we should go about this. We're vulnerable. The devil is a roaring lion who makes a mess of things. If you go to another to speak to about a third, and it's just ill that you keep finding yourself speaking, I promise you, good is not proceeding there, beloved. Evil is proceeding there, beloved. When wrong must be addressed among us, and it must, we do well to adhere prayerfully and humbly to the apostles' instructions. Brother, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. He's talking about the one who has to address the wrong there. Keep watch on yourself. You can mark the humility of such truth-bearing. You can mark the faith required to carry it out patiently and well. You can mark the earnest desire for the other person's well-being in it. Perhaps that's one of the clearest indications that slander is taking place. There's no desire for the person's well-being in it. That's obvious. 
We convince ourselves that somehow these things are not plain, but they are. God's word is light, and it sheds light on all that it touches. Such instructions about dealing with actual sin are such a far cry from the slander Scripture forbids. Indeed, it's as different as poison is from medicine, beloved. If we can't see the difference, we're the problem. It seems to me that we're all guilty of this in some degree or another. Not a single person in here can escape this. If Janet were here, she would say amen. <laughs> I trust you're saying it in your little Presbyterian hearts. Mm -hmm. We can repent. We hang our heads. This is sick. It's sick. We're to be on our guard against such things. These are the wiles of the enemy. And we're to seek that wisdom which comes down from above, which is peaceable, pure, and gentle, bringing a harvest of, of righteousness. We don't have to be Pollyanna about this. We are to be informed by Scripture about this. It's 5.54. I have a whole other point. I'm going to put that in my back pocket. I trust we can see the difference between earnestly sharing truth with a brother or a sister in need of it and caring about the death of one another that comes with the tongue as we spread ill. I trust that it's plain when it happens, and I trust that you can see what we're called to do in the wake of it. And plus, you can trust that you can see the life-giving effect that the truth has as it's administered to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And consider this morning, God's word doesn't always tell us what we want to hear. He loves us too much for that. He tells us what we need to hear. But he does so clothed in such evidence of his goodness, beloved, that even when the hardness of truth comes, we're disarmed. And in humility, we say yes and amen. Let that give us our bearing to work through these harder things. Let's pray. Mm. Thank you for your word, O oh Lord, that it is a true and sure guide, a foundation upon which our lives can be built. It's not the musing of men. How wonderful. It's not the ramblings of demons. It is nothing less than your word, O oh Lord, abiding forever. Strengthen us in our conviction that it is true. 
Empower us, O Lord, to walk in its light. Move our hearts to rejoice at the salvation that you make known and the life in which you lead us for your name's sake. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.